to your commercial-free, uninterrupted investment show. Sponsored by the SEC-registered investment firm, Wilsey Asset Management, a fiduciary firm owned and operated by President Brent Wilsey, who has been putting clients' investment needs first for over 40 years. The Smart Investing Show has been giving unbiased financial information for over 27 years on local radio stations right here in San Diego, providing you with fundamental analysis on stocks and investments you want to know about. Now, here are your hosts, Brent and Chase Wilsey. Well, good morning and welcome to Smart Investing Show. I'm Brent Wilsey, just about 8.02, 8.01 on Saturday morning. Great to have you here this Saturday morning, every Saturday morning, talking about your money, investing, the economy, all these important things to make you or help you grow your net worth. With me is Chase. Good morning, Chase. Hey, good morning. So many things to talk about. And we always talk about at the end of the show, like, wow, that hour just flew on by. It does. Yeah. I, I know. It, what'd you call it? it? Should be the the rapid hour or something. The rapid hour. Yeah. Rapid financial hour. Let's let's change the name instead of smart investing. Rapid financial hour. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get right into it because I do want to talk about uh, Walt Disney. Uh, I had Walt Disney in a portfolio many years ago, and, and I've been waiting for a correction to come to put this you know wonderful business back in my portfolio. And, and I always liked it because it was a family type business. Uh, now the company seems to be getting away from the family orientation. Uh, at the fireworks show, they no longer will say ladies and gentlemen and boys and girls. Now they're going to be saying dreamers of all ages. And I'm just like, ah. <laughs> yeah, and it's not just that. I mean, also I was disappointed to hear that they will no longer be using the word princess for little girls. And I don't know, it's kind of like disheartening because I – I don't know, just always think of like a dad and his daughter and, oh, that's my little princess. Right. You know, like that's, I don't know, I, I, I guess I'm just a little disappointed in, in the way that Disney's headed in that regard. But, you know, even looking at the numbers, not just kind of the politics of it, you look at the numbers of Disney, this stock is falling from a high this year of $192 a share. Currently, it's under $140 a share and actually believe even closer to 130 now. And the earnings estimates for 2023, well, they're just $5.16 a share. And I say just $5.16 a share because that gives us a target sell price of $86, so still well below yeah. that, that current level. I'm just, I hate to say it, but there's just no value here. And I do fear going forward, this company will underperform and it's lost or will be losing the family name it has held since well, my childhood and even your childhood. My childhood, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I, I would have to put this stock on the sell list. Uh, you know, again, not even just for for the changes to the company, but the numbers aren't even good on Disney yeah. right now. Yeah, it, it is a shame because it had that brand name for the family and stuff. And um, you know, and why say anything? Just just be Disney. Yeah. You know, I mean, why, why is everybody gonna make things into politics and so forth? Well, and they're getting into it too with the state of Florida and yeah. kind of going against their bill. I mean, they're they're really. I mean, I know a lot of conservatives are really unhappy with Disney at this moment, which, you know, we kind of always say try and avoid the political side yeah. of things, regardless one way or the other, because you're going to piss off half the population. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and that goes half their sales and that goes half their earnings. So instead of making $5.16, they'll make a, what, two fifty eight or something. Yeah. You know, it's just like not good to piss off half the, uh, half the population there. Yeah, so I I just hate to say it, but, uh, you know, Disney, I, I'd have to avoid it. And the big thing I look at, too, is it's not – just, you know, the theme parks. And I mean, Disney's got a whole, whole business that's got so oh, yeah. many different elements. Uh, you know, when I was in Hawaii recently. They have the Disney hotels there. and They, they have are Disney, in Hawaii? Uh, they have the, gosh, what's the name of that hotel? They have, um, 
not the Aria. Is it the Aria? There, there's this hotel there that is all Disney themed and really, uh, it's pretty cool. It's a cool place. But yeah, so I know they have their resorts. They have their Disney cruises. I mean, they have so many different elements of that business. Uh, it's just a huge company. But the other thing that's really been having them grow over the last several years has been the streaming. But I, you have to be careful to really make sure you're not overpaying for these streaming companies because there's so much competition coming in here and it's a lot of money being spent by these big players and I think the wrong ones that are way overpriced are going to come back to reality because I think they're just so much money out there involved in the streaming space. Yeah, and also too, when you talk about the streaming space being very competitive, as an investor, you don't like to have competition. That's why Warren Buffett talks about the moat. You don't want that competition because what that does is bring down prices. You've got to you know, increase expenses for advertising. It's not a good thing to have a lot of competition. Um, and again, I think the big players will win. Uh, like your your Paramounts, your uh, Netflixes. I mean, the, the big names, I think they're going to be around, but I just wonder about the side ones like like this one here. HBO, I think, will stay around because they got a lot of players. Well, but and I mean, Disney, I think, is going to be fine because they have Disney Plus, they have Hulu. I, I've oh, they do have Hulu. They okay. do have Hulu, yeah. Okay. So I, I think Disney's going to be fine, but I, I think you're just going to see consolidation in the industry over the next five to ten years. I mean, right. I, I just don't see how you're going to have all these different streaming players I think it's gonna. It's kind of funny how we we bundled into cable, and then we unbundled into streaming, and then my <laughs> prediction is going to go back to bundling and, and streaming, streaming services. <laughs> so we'll see what happens. But I mean, you know, Time Warner Discovery, they're merging now officially this week. I'm curious to see what that offering is going to look like. If they're going to merge Discovery with HB, HBO Max, I mean, there's just so much going on in the industry that I think you're just going to see a lot of consolidation. And I think it's just. I think there's opportunities, but you have to be careful. And again, it all comes down to making sure you're not overpaying for these streaming businesses. Well, well let's talk about the index. It, it was not a good start uh, for index investors in the first quarter of 2022. The S&P 500 fell 4.9%, and the Dow Jones was down 4.6%. Yeah, and the, the tech-heavy NASDAQ, I mean, that's really what's hit the hardest, down 9.1% in the quarter. Still not recommended buying the dip on these indexes. I believe 2022 will be a year that investors must do a lot of research to find good quality equities at good prices. Yeah, the index, you know, I, 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 and I'm saying this and people say, oh, you're, you're wrong. I don't think it's gonna do well this year. And I am predicting, and, and I'm, I'm basing this on not just a, a, a guess. Uh, I, I've looked at the, the index for the last, well, 100 years. And you can kind of see this trend of decades, what happens. And we've had a huge climb this last decade. Well, normally when you have that, you, I always say you kind of borrow from the future. So I think the decade from 2020 to 20, I guess 2029, or is it 2030? I'm not sure when you end it. Yeah, I guess you go start of 2020 to start of 2030. Oh, you can start at yeah. 2021, go to 2030. Yeah. But, but anyway, that, that, that 10 yeah. year period, if you look at the, the, the history there, um, you can see it, it's, it flattens out. It's not just that, because I'm not a, like a, a chart watcher, but we also know how much the earnings have been, what the valuations are, and that's why we're starting out this decade with high earnings, high valuations. You know, Again, we talk about the greater fool theory. You hope there's some fool out there fool, more foolish than you, but it's a higher price. Well, that's where we're at right now. So we're starting out the decade at a high price, high valuations. I don't think it's going to end well where for the whole decade, yeah, if, if we average three to four percent this year on, on the index S and P five hundred, that's about where I think you'll get. And we've had this conversation before uh, about how the price can grow. There, there's really two opportunities, two mechanisms that you can look at. It's number one, multiple expansion, mm -hmm. or number two, earnings growth. 
So if you have, gosh, I, I haven't looked at the S&P 500 index uh, in terms of its forward earnings, but right now I, I do yeah. have it actually pulled up on the, the trailing 12 months. It's trading at 23.8 times earnings. That's pretty lofty. We yeah. know the, the long-term average for the forward PE, again, looking forward, so it's going to be a little bit more favorable for the S&P, uh, is 16.6. Right. So what that tells me is what's going to happen is the S&P 500 going to grow to 30 times earnings? That could increase the price. That doesn't seem likely. I think at best you have a multiple that, that stabilizes. You're not going to have multiple expansion. There's no way. So it has to come purely from earnings growth. But even with earnings growth, I think you're still going to have multiple contraction. So I think that multiple contracting is going to offset any earnings growth that does occur. And I don't think you're going to have earnings growth either in the S&P 500 of 10% or anything. I think you're looking at a subdued environment going forward over the next five to 10 years that uh, is not double-digit growth by any means. So if you don't have the expansion on the multiple, you have less than double-digit earnings growth there's no way you get to double-digit gains. Right, right. And, and again, I think a lot of people just don't get that. They say, oh, the S&P 500 is fine. I made a lot of money off and so forth. You've got to dig deeper into that. And, and I think it's going to be going forward. I don't say easy to beat the index, but there's a lot of good values out there you can buy. And the index, I, I don't think it's going to be hard to beat uh, this next decade. Yeah, I, I agree. And <laughs> especially, too, I mean, uh, you know, our next topic, I, I think, is really a large reason for why I think the index is going to underperform. Yeah, well, well let's talk about that. We, we did see a quick reversal uh, this week uh, in the markets, and in particular the NASDAQ and the Treasury markets, and actually been up and down and so forth. Uh, I believe these two markets will be hit the hardest by Fed actions and rising rates. The reversal came after hawkish comments from uh, what is that? Lael? Lael? Is that what you say? Yeah, that's how you say it. Yeah, I always say Brainerd. Yeah. <laughs> that's why we call him Brainerd, uh, who is generally considered a dovish member. She said the committee will continue tightening monetary policy methodically through a series of interest rate increases and by starting to reduce the balance sheet at a rapid pace as soon as our May meeting. She also said, given that the recovery has been considerably stronger and faster than previous cycle, I expect this is her, she expects the balance sheet to shrink considerably more rapidly than in previously recovery periods. Yeah, and, and with significantly larger caps as well and a much shorter period to phase in the maximum caps compared with the 2017 to 2019 shrinking of the balance sheet. It is important to note that the Fed's balance sheet grew to nearly $9 trillion as the Fed took on COVID. And in 2019, the Fed was taking part in what is known as quantitative tightening, also referred to as QT, and was able to reduce the balance sheet to under $4 trillion. But if we look back to 2008 before the Great Recession, the balance sheet was under $1 trillion. So we've had this huge, huge expansion as we've had to take on, again, the Great Recession and COVID now. But during the recent era of QT, that was back in 2018-19, the Fed was allowing $50 billion a month to roll off the balance sheet. And it is now estimated that level will double. And actually, they did announce this past week, it looks like starting around May, they're going to start phasing it in where they'll be actually letting $60 billion in treasuries and $35 billion worth of mortgage-backed securities to run off the balance sheet. So close to doubling, that is pretty pretty darn close, $95 billion, or call it $100 <laughs> billion. Uh, And the Fed could also consider selling bonds, which would drive rates even higher. Be careful what you hold in your portfolios. Interest rate spikes could catch you by surprise. And I mean, I don't want to say I was surprised to see the 10-year note, but hitting 2.7, I mean, that that is a... That's a huge increase from the start of the year. And one problem we have, and I was thinking about this last night, Friday night, and, you know, 
just kind of sitting around just thinking. Um, one thing that, you know, uh, the, the yield curve is almost flat. I think that the, mm-hmm. the two years around two, four, two, three or something. It's it, we, we don't have, a, you know, a, a big large spread, large spread. Um, and I was thinking like the Fed talks about the going in May increase by 50 basis points, June 50 basis points. I think, again, we said this about a year ago. We said the Fed is behind the curve. Mm-hmm. I think, again, they're screwing things up again. And I was thinking about this because what they're trying to do is fix the problem by raising short-term interest rates by raising the discount rate. Yeah. And what I feel you're kind of doing is like pushing on a string because what's happening is that you're not raising the longer side. Yeah. And the Fed never had this tool before because in the past, that's really one of the big tools they had. Well, now you've got that $9 trillion on the balance sheet. Instead of increasing the short rate, start selling those long bonds. Get that long rate up to you know a three, three and a half percent. Stop raising the discount rate and start selling more bonds. I think we'll get through this quicker as opposed to trying using the old tools. Okay, let's increase the short rate by a half percent. No, stop that. Don't do that. Increase the longer rate by selling those bonds. You win two ways. You're going to raise the longer rates plus you reduce your balance sheet. Yeah, I, I think there is, the only thing I will say is I think there is some merit to increasing the short-term rates because uh, savers have been crushed during this period because you can't get a good short-term CD, you can't right. get good savings rates, you, you, you just can't find that. So I, I think they're, I think you're right that I think they're being too aggressive on the short end. I'd rather see them be more aggressive on the long end. And in my personal opinion is, I don't even think they need to start selling the bonds, but don't put a cap on it. Just let all the bonds just, you have yeah. just run off yeah. because let the market actually just dictate itself. Don't step it. We don't need intervention anymore from the Fed. You just hang back. If people want to buy treasuries, they'll buy treasuries. Right. Let them set the rate for what the treasury should be. Don't get involved in the, in this treasury market anymore. Let the, the rates kind of rise on that long end to a more natural rate. Right. And I knew you were going to say about the savers because like, well, yeah, they do better when they go up, but what does that do? Puts more money in their pocket, therefore they'll spend more money, therefore you'll have an inflation because they have more money chasing more. So that's what I was saying, don't change the short-term rates. You know, no, because they'd be saving it no. in the well, bank. I got, yeah, but I, I was thinking- You're talking about having interest of what? Right now it's under 1%, so now what, 1.5%? You're telling me in 0.5% they're going to make all this money in interest that they're going to go spend? Well, and I guess I'm going way back in my history here <laughs> because what savers generally do on CDs, that's how they get their income when they're retired. Mm-hmm. Because if they're not invested like us and they live off yeah. fixed income and they have their money in the CDs, like, wow, now I get more money coming in. So that was my, my thought. But um, Yeah, I'm, I, I don't think we need to. I, I do think being too aggressive is not necessarily what they need to do. I, I do think the longer end is going to be, again, yeah. more what they need to focus on, but I still think they need to increase short-term rates somewhat. But Yeah, I'll, I'll call Paul on Monday. I'll talk to him. Yeah, yeah, so. we'll, we'll see if we can <laughs> get in there for him. Phone number is 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. Going to take calls just in a minute here. Just to want to give people a Bitcoin update. Um, over the last 12 months, investment in Bitcoin are down over 22%. The global Bitcoin industry has also continued to really suck power for production off the cryptocurrency. Consumption by the global Bitcoin industry is 135 terawatt hours. Yeah, and, and that's more than the entire country of Norway as they consumed 124 terawatt hours. And <laughs> kind of put it in perspective, what is one terawatt? Well, that equals one trillion watts. Or put it another way, it is the equivalent of, gosh, what is this, 10 billion 100 watt bulbs. 
that doesn't sound very green to me. I guess buyers of Bitcoin don't care about clean energy. Uh, and my recommendation here is to still just avoid it. And I had a couple comments on Facebook, and I, I said, you know, I just I still don't get it. Right. And I, I've tried to get it, and you're right, I haven't spent hours upon hours and hours and hours trying to get it, but I don't even have an inkling of getting it. And I've spent a few hours trying to understand Bitcoin, and if I don't understand it just a little bit, what's the point of doing the further research? It makes no, no sense. sense to me. Right. And, so. and actually, I guess they had the cryptocurrency uh, convention this past week, and somebody, I want to say Peter Thiel, I think it yep. was, called Warren Buffett, oh, grandpa, and he doesn't get it, he's got Alzheimer's. A sociopathic <laughs> grandpa or something. Yes, it was like yes. a pretty aggressive yes, yes. term, and he, he called him enemy number one, him and Jamie Dimon and Larry yep. Fink, they're all enemy. And I'm like, they're not enemies, they, they're investors, and if they don't understand something, they don't invest in it. Right, and, and Warren Buffett's investing philosophy has not changed. I remember back in the tech boom, same situation. People, oh, Warren Buffett, it's over. He's got Alzheimer's. He doesn't know what's going on. He's an idiot and so forth. And he turned out to be right again. And it's not, and he is a smart man, but it's just the fundamentals of investing. They never falter. It may take them time to come to true, but they do eventually come true. And that's why, you know, again, we'll, we'll just keep watching. And I, I told somebody else, like, yeah, we'll see what it is next year. So. Yeah. And the thing, too, is a lot of these people that are tech people, and a lot of people kind of put their faith behind them. Right. They're not financial people necessarily always. And yes, Peter Thiel has been extremely successful. Yeah. And what I mean by that is he, he, he doesn't have the same financial understanding as somebody like a Warren Buffett or a Jamie Dimon. Right. But he has a great understanding of technology, and his understanding of technology is what has made him so wealthy, not his understanding of financial markets and, and how those operate. And also, too, he's a big risk taker. I mean, that's how yeah. a lot of these guys became very wealthy, by taking risk, and they were right, and they did very well. It wasn't like a Warren Buffett who made their their big net worth by investing in just true investing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I, I think it's funny. I saw a couple of athletes there as well. People are going to get left behind. They don't, <laughs> and I'm like, what do you know about anything? I'm sorry. These athletes need to stop talking about financial matters. Uh, they, just, I, why do people put value in what right. they have to say with anything besides their sport? Yeah, yeah. like I. I say it. Many of them never went to college right. or applied themselves in college, or and I don't want to say that college is necessarily the end be all for people, right. but they've had no understanding of business and finance and, and anything like that. So why does your opinion matter when it comes to it? Just focus on tennis, basketball, football, whatever your yeah. sport is. Do that. Like, yeah, let me show you how to play football. <laughs> yeah. I, I do finance, but I can show you how to do football if you can show me how to do finance. And there's a lot of athletes out there that I, I really enjoy, and I think they're great people. But people just, oh, well, you know, LeBron said do this. Okay, well, why does it matter what LeBron says? He's a great basketball player, but. <laughs> just, yeah. And, and again, if he loses it, it doesn't matter. Well, He's yeah. got a lot more money left over. But, yeah. So and a lot of those, too, they got paid for it. Or they mm -hmm. get some special incentive. So, all right. Phone number is 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. Let's go out to Oceanside and speak with Carl. Carl, you're in the Smart Vegetable Brand. Chase, how can we help you? Yes, uh, I purchased a few shares of HUN. A month ago, they announced a repurchase of 2 million of their shares. And uh, I looked at that company, they pay 2% dividend. And, uh, but the stock goes down, it's now about 36 I bought it at 4D. One, 
Okay, Carl, we're, we're kind of losing there. You're kind of breaking up. So I, I know you want to talk about uh, Huntsman, symbols H-U-N, uh, in the industry of chemicals. So I, I believe it's obviously a chemical company. Uh, looking pretty good on the short side, only 2.3% short, 85% institutional owned. Good P-E ratio, 7.3 versus 10.6. Price of sales looks okay, 0.9 versus 1. Price to book value, 2.3 versus 10.5. And price of cash flow does reverse that. It's 8. That's above the industry at 7.7. And you do want your valuation ratios lower. They do have a nice peg ratio, though, uh, 0.9 versus 6.5. Now, their earnings for the past year are up 153%, well above the industry, up 86%. Sales climbed by 35% also well above the industry at 7.8. They do pay a 2.5% dividend there, Carl, uh, and they use uh, 15% of their earnings to pay that out. That's about half what the industry uses, so that's pretty good. Look at the balance sheet, uh, current ratio 1.9. Uh, that, that's good, the industry is at 2.9. Debt equity 0.5 versus 0.7, I like seeing that. Net profit margin 12.4 versus 9.2, and return on equity is 23.9 versus 17.6. I, I like what I'm seeing here of this company, Chase. I, I hope you got some good words going forward on earnings. Yeah, and this company sounds very, very familiar. I think we looked at this, gosh, maybe a month or two ago, and I, I remember liking the numbers. So I, I, uh, it looks like things haven't changed because looking at the description, I'm, I mean, they're very well diversified. They do the adhesives, aerospace, automotive, construction products, and, and other things as well. And I think our, our advice too was before buying it, just see what the breakdown is between right. the different <clears throat> industries because um, I, I am just curious on maybe they get hit, maybe there's been some bad news lately or something and one of the industries they're heavily focused on, but uh, the numbers look strong on it so far. Let's take a look at the, the numbers going forward here. But we'll start with the current price, $34.55. 52-week high, well, that was $41.65. Uh, 52-week low, $24.09. So year-to-date return down about 0.4%. We'll call it flat year-to-date. Market cap here, $7.4 billion, so still a good-sized business. If I go out to December 2023, though, I like this. Estimated earnings per share, $4.57. Gives us a target sell price of $75.86, and we're seeing that earnings growth year-over-year year of about 14% this year, 12% next year. The analysts are seeing some, some good news on this business. Now, one thing I did see is that it appears it's quite cyclical, so I would want to understand, again, why this business is so cyclical, as you could all of a sudden have two great years of earnings. Year three, they fall off a cliff. Mm. Stock struggles. And also, too, I mean, chemical companies usually are tied to petroleum. Mm -hmm. uh, we have seen oil. Gosh, remember, didn't oil hit like a high, like 126 or something per barrel? Somewhere around there, yeah. yeah I, th I think yesterday I saw it around 96, 97. Uh, I, I need to kind of look at the December futures price. I, looked, I did a couple of weeks ago, it was around 88. So it appears to be that oil may have stabilized. We may have got this situation fixed. It seems that we were doing some things to keep that price stable. If that stays there, that'd be good for this company. If it does go up to the 120, 130 level and stays there, could be problems for this company because you use oil or petroleum. And, and I will say as well, this company looks like it is in the US, Canada, Europe, Asia Pacific, and the rest of the world. I know a lot of companies with heavy exposure to Europe has really struggled lately yeah. because of the huge energy price spikes there. They're, they're really worried about recession in, in Europe here coming up shortly. So yeah, that could be a, a potential issue with this business that, that may be impacting it. Yeah, you bring up a good point. If they have a lot of manufacturing in Europe versus U.S., that could be a problem because the cost over there is much higher. So th these are the things, and that's why we did the workshop. We will have a, another one for another few months here. 
But these are things you want to look at, Carl, because like, where is their manufacturing? If they have a lot of manufacturing in Europe, could be a problem for them uh, producing products. So um, I like the company, definitely worth the research, but you know, it could be some problems that you want to make sure they're not going to become problems. All right, Carl? I think we lost Carl. Be a problem for them. Uh, okay. All right. All right. Uh, that opens up the phone line, 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. Let's go up to uh, Sabre Springs and speak with Tom. Tom, you're on the Smart Vest Show, Brent Chase. How can we help you? You there, Tom? Good morning. Good morning. There he is. Uh, how are you doing this morning, Tom? Oh, doing well. How are you guys? Good, good. What can we do to help you out? So a few years ago, I threw some money down on Red and bought a company called Glucose Health. And uh, just based on uh, what I'm thinking of the future as far as um, healthy products for blood sugar, diabetes, etc., Mm-hmm. And uh, it went up. It peaked around nine, and now it's much lower. I I don't think they have any analysts, but I was just kind of curious to know what you guys thought based on the numbers. Uh, now I know that they're growing um, exponentially, and uh, just curious uh, what the future looks like with this company. Okay, let's take a look at uh, Glucose Health. Uh, symbol is G L U C. Uh, no no uh, shortage showing. No institutional ownership showing. Um, now this is kind of strange. Let's see. Oh, I, it shows here last full report period was June 30th, 2018. Next reported period is April 6, 2022. So I'm not sure if we're missing numbers here. I, I think that could be, uh, not true there, but, uh, we'll continue on here. I do see a PE ratio that's over a hundred versus 21 for the industry. Price of sales, 22.9 versus 1.7 price of cash flow over 100 versus 15.6. There is no book value. I, I believe the uh, liabilities exceed the uh, assets, so therefore there's no book value there. Uh, no earnings growth. Uh, I do have a five-year sales growth of a negative 11.8%. Uh, and this does sound like a startup company here, so we're not getting too much, but we can look at the balance sheet here. Current ratio, ooh, not very good, 0.3 versus 1.4. And what that tells me is that they could have a liquidity problem in the future which would cause the company to go into bankruptcy. So you want to be careful of that. No debt to equity because there is no equity. I will check uh, the debt uh, on the balance sheet when Chase look at the numbers going forward. Uh, we do see a net profit margin. Well, here's the first good thing. 16.6, double the industry at eight. Uh, return on equity a negative 7.7 versus 26.9 positive. Chase, what do you got going forward? And honestly, I don't even know if I'd look at the balance sheet because yeah, the, one of the, the major warnings on this company is late filing. So that number you brought up, the last full report they had was June 30th, 2018. So I don't know what in the world has happened over the last <laughs> four years with this company. Um, but I mean, the the, the stock price, it, it's interesting. It's, you know, obviously it's still trading, which right. I, I don't, I've never seen this before. But we'll take a look at it here. Current price, $1.06, 52-week high, $4.15. The low, $0.47. Cents. Year-to-date return, though, down 35.8%. I do see a five-year return, though, up 864%. So uh, I know you mentioned you threw it down on red, and I think that's a, a great term there because it is truly <laughs> a gamble here. <laughs> but this business, one thing that does concern me is it is extremely volatile because it's so small. Right. The market cap on this business, $4 million. Oh, I can buy that on Monday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's... It, it's uh, and I bring this up because the the volume is so low 
that somebody that has, let's say, even $100,000, $200,000 worth of the stock, they're like, I can't take this anymore. I need to get out. It's going to be darn near impossible because yeah. the volume is so low that if they just need to liquidate their shares, this can go from a dollar and six cents down to 50 cents in the matter of a day if somebody needs to get out of it because there's just not a big market. There's not a big amount of volume that can kind of handle uh, that type of selling. So, I, I mean, this is, again, I'm going to go back to your throwing it down on red. That's exactly what I'd put it at. <laughs> and, and I had to just take a peek. And, yes, the, the last balance sheet was 2017. There's not much out there at all. Uh, Tom, how many how many shares of this do you, do you own? So, yeah, I bought uh, 500 shares at $0.10 cents a share. Okay. Well, you made and, and just, you know, like you guys, I just put stuff down, and I'm not a trader. I'm kind of an investor. And, like I said, it reached nine. And I sold a bunch when it went down to four. So now I'm just kind of hanging on to about 100 shares. And, and like I say, I was just curious to know going forward. But uh, they started off in just in pharmacies, and now Amazon has it. And the reports, the, the reading, the news that comes out on the companies, you know, tells me nothing that, uh, uh, but uh, growth as far as their sales. So that, that, that's what kept me at least hanging on. Yeah, I was going to say maybe sell 100 shares at a time. But it sounds like you've done that. You only have 100 shares left. Uh, and, and, and this is a complete gamble, as you said. Uh, this could be worth, you know, $20 a share uh, next week, but it's just, there's no reason to hold that as an investment. Uh, you might as well go to Vegas or Barona and uh, do the right. same thing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Hey, I appreciate what you do. Okay, Tom. Thanks for calling. Have a good one. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. That does open a phone line. 833-288-0973. That's 833- Two eight eight zero nine seven three, and Chase, I was looking for it in my folder. I'll see if you remember. We had somebody. I think they sent us a a, a message. I think it was on social media. Then I I sent it to our email. I took one of the companies and the other one. I said we can only do one. It was on the on the sheet. And he said, well, we've kind of covered that before. Um, and he can't remember what the company was. <laughs> Put me on the spot. No, yeah, I cannot. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. I said we would kind of do it, and it, and it was like. Uh, I want to say it was an oil company or something, but uh, and I looked through my notes and and I think I, I tossed it last week and I I think they sent me another note saying, well, you can look at. It. I said, yeah, yeah, I think it's still my folder. I should check my folder when I said that, but it was like something we've looked at in the past, uh, but it's it's uh, not there. But oh well. Phone number is eight three three two eight eight zero nine seven three. That's eight three three two eight eight. 0973. And I was going to say, too, uh, you know, kind of where we're waiting. I know Harrison's on the line. We'll go to him shortly. But uh, I did want to mention we did our, our Smart Investing Weekly Stock Analysis yesterday on YouTube. So for our, our viewers that uh, kind of like our YouTube yeah. presence and, and our videos there, we talked about Twitter and the whole kind of Elon Musk saga and whether it's worth <laughs> investing in Twitter. So if you want to find out more on that video, again, go to YouTube, type in the Smart Investing Show, and then you can just see our uh, recent weekly stock analysis. We talked about Apple, Twitter, and we had two weeks where we had two buys that, that we were actually kind of intrigued in. So yeah. highly recommend it. If you enjoy the show, you enjoy the way we break down companies, this is even a little more in-depth than we get to do on the show. Right. That's really a comment, too, because I, I see people call in. I see them there, and all of a sudden they hang up. I mean, please be patient with us because, you know, we, we try to spend time with everybody and so forth. So if you call in, we don't get you right away. Uh, you know, be patient. We will get to you because then all of a sudden what happens, we've got no calls there. Yep. So <laughs> but right now it is time to talk about uh, financial planning. For that, we turn to our financial planner, CFP, Harrison Johnson. Good morning, Harrison. How are you doing this morning? 
guys. I'm doing well. How are you doing? Good, good. Well, I know today, and I like this, you're talking about generalized financial advice. What are you talking about? So this is what I mean. Um, there's all kind of advice out there for us. You read articles, you listen to people like Dave Ramsey and Susie Orman, you can watch TV. There's advice any, everywhere. But you have to remember that the audience for sources like that isn't directly you or myself, it's the general public. And so when you're talking to the general public, you you speak almost in rules of thumb. It's not it's not specialized individually for one person based on their situation. So what that means is the advice that you're getting and the advice that's being put out there is not necessarily the best thing for any one person to do. It's just not the worst thing for them to do, which which those are two different things. So I have some examples of what I mean. Um, one thing, uh, you know, a piece of advice out there that's very common is, you know, you don't want to ever have any debt. You want to pay off debt as fast as you can whenever possible. This is a big Dave Ramsey thing. Um, you Obviously, uh, being debt-free isn't, isn't bad, but if you have a mortgage that's 2.5%, you know, what is the rush to try and pay it off as quickly as you can? Especially if you're, you know, getting ready to retire or you're, you know, you're going through retirement. Um, in many cases, in that case, to pay off your mortgage, you'd have to pull money from like an IRA. So that means you're paying taxes on distributions. You're losing that ability for that money to continue growing for you so that you can pay off a mortgage that's only costing you 2.5% and that interest might be deductible. It's just an inefficient way to use your money. However, being debt-free isn't bad, so that's why it's not the worst thing for you, but it's definitely not the best thing for you. If we talk like about investing in real estate, debt is what makes investing in real estate attractive, not the lack of debt because of leverage. So debt is not always a bad thing ever if you use it correctly, but <clears throat> sometimes people don't, so then the default is, okay, well, you know, all debt is bad. Um, another example from uh, a Susie Orman, she says that everyone needs five million dollars of investable assets to be able to retire no you don't that's not true <laughs> i don't know um, where that number came I, from <laughs> um i see people that retire all the time with much less than five million dollars and they still have more money than they can spend um now if you are gonna take absolutely no market risk and sit on cash, which, by the way, exposes you to inflation risk and longevity risk and other sources of risk, then yeah, you might need a little bit more. But retirees are still investors. They still need their money to work for them. And if they do that appropriately, you don't need $5 million. Um, another one, I, I saw an article this week that was written by an um, econ professor at some Ivy League school. So you'd think this would be a, a smart guy. Um, and in it, he was saying that everyone should work until they're 70 and then collect Social Security at age 70. Well, if you do that, you'll probably not run out of money, but you sacrifice your 60s in order to do that, which for many people is the best years of their retirement because they have the most energy and, and they're the healthiest. And actually, if you look at Social Security, collecting earlier has a better net present value than waiting and Social Security is taxed more favorably than IRA distributions are. So it's actually, in many cases, better to collect earlier, but this professor just assumes that everyone is stupid and doesn't know how to use their money in the right way. So then the default is, well, you know, you can't hurt yourself if you wait until 70. So again, it's, it's this advice is not necessarily the best, but if you do it, it's not like you can hurt yourself. So 
what I do is I look at individual people and say, you know what, if we do these things in the right way, it's going to add enough value so that you can retire earlier, have more income, have more flexibility, those types of things. And, you know, here's I'm so glad you bring this up because, uh, and again, a lot of these people like Susie Orman and David Ramsey, they become famous by doing things and, uh, and saying things that, you're right, they're general rules of thumb, but people shouldn't take the advice because it may not fit their situation. And they can maybe ask questions on that of, of a financial planner like yourself that actually looks at each person individually, but you just follow that saying, oh, oh well, yeah, I need $5 million to retire, so I can't retire until I'm 80 because that's what Susie Orman said is a foolish statement. Or to pay off all your debt, again, a foolish statement depending on the situation. So I'm so glad you brought that up because when I saw the, the topic, I thought, well, what is he talking about here? I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> a lot of people fall for stuff like that. and. They do the wrong things by, and, and here's another one I've seen people do. I'm going to pay off my debt first before I put money in my 401k. Oh my gosh, that just drives me crazy. That was my thought exactly. I've seen that before. People have student loan debt, and they're like, I'm just going to attack the student loan debt. And it's like, but you're missing a 401k match. You're missing the deduction. Yep. And also, too, your student loan interest can be tax deductible. Your mortgage can be tax deductible if you file it itemized. But the thing is, people just don't look at that. So they're looking at the rate. Well, if you look at the after-tax rate, it's lower than the rate yeah. that you're quoted. So it, it's, it's so important to look at the big picture, which is you know why you do what you do, Harrison. Yeah. And, and and again, if you're going to earn eight percent and you're paying four percent, you have a four percent spread there. Pretty easy math. That's a that's a good thing. But people don't think about that because of people like Dave Ramsey. Get your debt paid off. Pay all your debt. Oh, no. And I'm very see. curious. I know he had like a four or five million dollar house or something in Tennessee. Oh, did he really? He had a huge house. I'm like, did he pay cash for that? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and how did yeah. you get that house well, by, by his, telling people <laughs> the wrong thing? <laughs> yeah, his whole thing, when he was young, he was investing in real estate, and he was heavily leveraging and flipping homes um, and flipping commercial property, and then he got underwater and lost everything. So he had a, a negative experience with that when interest rates got high, and which, you know, obviously you have to be careful about leverage and how you use it. That is a tool and you can, you can over leverage yourself with interest costs. Um, but that does not mean that all debt is always bad. And, right. you know, not everything Dave Ramsey said is wrong. You know, he says that uh, permanent life insurance is usually not the right thing to do. And I agree with that. So there are, there are good advice out there from these people. You just have to, you know, decide what the right advice is for yourself and how to make yourself as efficient as it can be. And I think what they can do is people is listen to that and then have a true financial planner like yourself, a true financial planner, not a salesperson, to actually say, well, what, what do you think about this, Harrison? Because I heard this from David Ramsey. I heard this from Susan Orman. How does that apply to my situation? I think that's an important thing. How does it apply to their situation? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, and that's what it takes. I mean, my if you, if you pay off your mortgage, it doesn't matter to me. I'm not telling you something to not do that. So right. if it's the right thing to do, I'll tell you why and I'll show you. But, you know, it, it depends on the situation. Right. Well, Harrison, thank you very much. Uh, we will see you on Monday morning and uh, have a good day. Thanks, guys. We'll see you Monday. Okay. Bye-bye. Uh, that is Harrison Johnson. He's our CFP, our financial planner at our office. He is on the salary. He doesn't get paid bonuses or doesn't get paid commissions. Uh, it is a fee-based planner, so you do get a true unbiased advice. If you want to talk to him, call him at the office, 858-8. 546 4306 that's 858-546-4306 or you can go to our website smartinvesting2000.com that's smartinvesting2000.com
<clears throat> All right, phone numbers again, 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. Let's go out to San Diego and speak with Brad. Brad, you're in the Smart Vegetable, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Hi, Brent. Brad Schumann, how are you? Hey, good, Hi, Brad. Hey. How are you doing? Good. I wanted to talk to you about UCO and get your thoughts on it. You mentioned oil earlier. And I wanted to hear from you how you're feeling about it moving forward, where we're going to go with it, or if it's going to stay stable. Yeah, because you're talking about the uh, ProShares Ultra Bloomberg Crude Oil, the ETF, correct? Great. Let's go out to San Diego. Correct? That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I mean, because oil, I mean, you know, we're, I think we, Jason, I just said, I think it's around $96 a barrel now. We hit the high of uh, 126 I think we said we hit. Um, I don't think it'll drop much more. Now, what could happen is that the war in Ukraine could ex ex explode and get worse, and all of a sudden that could really dis disrupt the supply chain. I think we're already dealing with Russia being kind of cut off. Uh, I'm not a big fan of what the administration did by releasing a million barrels a day of the strategic oil reserves, but I have heard, <laughs> although they did beat up the uh, oil executives, I guess, pretty bad this past week, which irritated me because these are the guys you want to be nice to to get more oil, reduce the prices. With all that said, I, I think the time to invest in oil is now past. Um, I, I think it's it, the, t the time to invest in some of this when nobody wants it, and that would have been about a year ago. Right. Now that everybody knows about it, eh, maybe a little bit late to the party, could be a little bit more there, but I, I don't think there's much more left there. Yeah, I, I think the, the problem here is now with oil, I think the <laughs> downside risk is just as high as the upside potential, which I, I don't like that type of situation. Yeah. And, you know, because what could happen, and I'm not saying this is going to happen, but all of a sudden things get resolved in Russia. And now Russia starts pumping out oil. Maybe we do a deal with Iran and, and Venezuela and they're pumping out. Yeah. And now we're just flooded with oil. That would cause oil prices to plummet. So, um, again, that's not a likely situation, but I also don't think there's a likely situation that sends oil prices here quickly to like $150 a barrel. So I, I just don't see that upside potential. And this product in particular, it, it's very, very risky, Brad. I mean, it, it does look to um, produce two times the daily performance of the Bloomberg Commodity Balanced WTI Crude Oil Index. And if you look at, like, the holdings, it's all swaps and futures. Ooh. And the, the holdings equate to 200% because of all the leverage that's involved in it to get to that two times leveraged product. And these leveraged products... <laughs> They're great when things are going up because you're going up about right. two times. But if things are going down, many times you're going down much, much faster than two times what the index is going down. So it's sure. very high risk. Right. And, and also, too, what happens with those is that it doesn't come back because those swaps are sold off. They're gone. So therefore, things turn around. Oh, no, that doesn't work because now that's gone. So I, I would definitely say, well, if you're going to invest in oil, uh, do a pure play. But these ultra or these plus ones that you see for ETFs, be very careful because they usually have a lot of leverage. As Chase said, what, two to one? Uh, you can lose twice as much money if oil drops. So and Yeah, because if I look at a long-term chart of this thing, in like 2018, it was around $400 wow. a, uh, a, a share. A share. And now it's at 150 but the price of oil isn't you know necessarily <laughs> fully correlated with right. that. Much higher than it was in 2018. Yeah. So. Yeah, so Brett, Brad, I would, I would definitely say stay away from this. Do, uh, do you have any of the oil in your portfolio at all? Yeah, I have some Exxon. Good. Yeah, see, I, I think that's a much better play. And, and I was looking at Occidental or Chevron. Uh, looking at means you don't have them yet, so I would, depending on percentage-wise, how much you have Exxon in your portfolio, I would probably say, eh, 
maybe not time to, I mean, look for something now that's gonna be up 12 to 24 months from now. I don't think that's gonna be oil. Okay. I think we've met, missed the oil, time to buy oil. You got Exxon, stay with it. But uh, especially Occidental with the the Buffett bump, yeah. I'll call it, is with uh, you know I think the time for that is past. And you know, as Brent said, you have Exxon, you have that oil exposure. It's not a screaming buy at any any by any means right now, in my opinion. So, you know, I think there's other areas you can look like you know healthcare, financials. I think there's some good opportunities out there that are true value plays as well that has been beaten up a little bit lately. Yeah, and I'll give you and our listeners a tip. Uh, one thing that we've been started looking at is that uh, we look for things that are on sale. Well, if you look at biotech, biotech's been hit pretty bad. So that's the area you're gonna look at. Well, what's going on in biotech? What can I buy in, buy in biotech? It's hard to say buy in biotech. Yeah. Uh, that's gonna do well the next 12 to 24 months. You wanna buy low, look in biotech. Not to Should confuse that with BioNTech, the company. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. So that's what I'd recommend for you, Brad. What what biotech do you like? Oh, that's what you gotta you gotta do the research for, Brad. Yeah. I know. I will tell you, it's not not like the small San Diego company. Right. We still like again. There's big biotech players that you can look at that have good earnings, that are, have good valuation ratios, have good balance sheets. I mean, that's still right. it's the same <clears> principles. <throat> when we say biotech, a lot of people think, oh, high risk. I want to. We're not talking about those biotechs that are, we're looking to get acquired okay. and hit the the quick. Um, approvals from the FDA, right. <clears throat> not those ones. We're looking at the bigger players that, that are much, much safer players. Yeah, we've been kind of looking for a while now, and I think maybe next week, the week after, we'll probably buy a company, I think, right now is looking pretty good for us. But uh, again, I'm, I'm just gonna try and give you and people a tip of where we're looking in the biotech. There, there are some good things in there that you can buy on sale now, but you know, be careful. There. Like BIBB, Biogen? Mm, I will say there's some, High risk with that, yeah. Um, but that is a type of biotech that that's we would consider. Yeah, yes, I mean that's that, the industry. That's the industry. That's the type of company, a large <laughs> player that they do have a pipeline. They do have revenue-producing drugs. So um, I'm not going to say yes or no on Biogen, but uh, that is a type of company that that we would consider at our firm. Yeah. Okay, Brad. Okay. Okay. Thank you, gentlemen. You're welcome. Good talk to you. Have a great day. You too. Bye bye. All right. That opens the phone line eight three three. Two eight eight zero nine seven three. That's eight three three two eight eight zero nine seven three. Let's go up to Oceanside and speak with Joe. Joe, you're on the Smart Vegetable Brent Chase. How can we help you? Hey guys, how you doing? Hey, good. You're becoming a regular hair, Joe. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I have my first. <laughs> you go away for a few months, then you come back. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah, depending on what's happening, you know, so yeah. I need you guys. You know, the one thing good about Ramsey and Harmon is, uh, you know, they, they at least they get people introduced to a finance and get them interested in it, and that maybe branches them off, too. Yeah, yeah, and exactly. I mean, I, I don't, I know we were questioning some of their methods, right. but for some people, I, as Harrison said, it, it, it doesn't put people in a bad spot right. it's just not the optimal spot which people could put themselves into but you know if you pay off your mortgage and pay off all your debt and you have assets you're probably going to be okay you know? right, right. <laughs> but you could do better exactly. if you talk to somebody that knew more about your own personal situation you work so. till you're 70 I, I don't know if many people want to do that so you know? i want to do 85 that's what that's what my plan is <laughs> how can i help you the out emotional Joe? play the emotional play you know yeah but um yeah i want you to take a look at uh, w-i-r-e Oh, okay. Oh, you switched on us, Joe. <laughs> uh, you know, I didn't even I didn't even talk to your um, phone guy. Oh, oh really? You okay. just came right on. Yeah. Through, huh? just, okay. Huh. Okay. Yeah. So, so I just didn't. I, that's why I was surprised when you guys called me. 
Oh, okay. Uh, w R. What did you was it? What, what, did you, what did you have me down as, by the way? Qualcomm. Qualcomm. <laughs> I, I remember I, I did that one um, last week. That's what, like that's why I was curious. I was like, I think we talked about this. I couldn't remember if it was last week or the week before. But is that Encore Wire? Is that the company? I believe so. Yes. Yeah. yeah. What, yeah what's the symbol? E, wire. W I R E. Oh, Wire. Okay, that's easy. And yeah, I thought right. maybe Joe's on hold for the past week on Qualcomm. I don't know. Patient. The difference we... Brandon makes on, but anyway, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. And I think we've looked at this company in, in the past, uh, and I think we liked it, so I'm kind of excited to kind of look at it again. Again, the company's called Encore Wire. I guess it's called Encore Wire. Uh, symbol W-I-R-E, Wire. Uh, they own the electrical equipment and parts industry, only 4.8% short, 89% institutional ownership. Wow, nice P.E. ratio, 4.1 versus 29. That that tells you it only takes you four years to get back what you paid for the stock based on the earnings. I like that. Price of sales, 0.9 versus 1.4. Price of book value, 1.6 versus 34.9. Price of cash flow, 5.3 versus 19.7. And a peg ratio of 1 versus 13.4. Well, the sales are, I'm sorry, the earnings growth up 448% for the year, well above the industry at 144%. Sales climbed 82.8% versus 3.9, like in those numbers here on the growth side. They do pay a 0.1% dividend, use 0.3% of their earnings to pay that out. Don't know why they even bother. Uh, we do see on the balance sheet, current ratio 6.7 versus 3.6, that's a good one. No debt on the balance sheet versus one for the industry. And then net profit margin, 20.9 versus 5.8. And return on equity, very good, 40.4 versus 19.4. I'm very excited about this company, Chase. What, what do you got? Yeah, well, interesting business here. It supplies building wire for interior electrical wiring in commercial and industrial buildings, homes, apartments, and manufactured housing as well. So uh, this is definitely uh, an economic cyclical play as well as, you know, if you're investing in these different real estate type environments and right. there's a lot of building going on, this company should be a big benefactor here. So uh, I know some of the builders slow down a little bit because the cost of materials is just so high right now. But if they can kind of stabilize somewhat, that could be very, very favorable for this business. I, I like the idea and the concept of the company. And here, looking at the current price here of $106.73, pretty substantially off the 52-week high of $151.64. Also well off the low, though, $65.98. So the stock is quite volatile. Year-to-date return, though, down 25.4%. I like to see that could present perhaps an opportunity. Market cap, $2.1 billion. So it's a little small, but it's not too small, right. is what I guess I would say. Going out to December 2023, though, I do see estimated earnings per share of $10.08. That would give us a target sell price of $167.33. So that's favorable. But the thing I point out, there's only two analysts that provide that and the range is pretty, not even the range, the difference between the two is, is quite high. The low is 838 and the high is 1178. So I, I, you're kind of on your own here, which always worries me a little bit. I like to see more than two analysts to get a sound number going forward. But um, it's a tough one because I like the company. There's a lot of strengths here, but uh, I, I don't like being in the dark. No, no. So, But uh, I think it's worth a little more research. Could be, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think you found a, a decent one, but do some more research there. All right, Joe? There's always got to be a fly in the ointment, huh? <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, because remember, before we buy a company, it's 10, 15, 20 hours of research. It would be 
terrible when you say, yeah, two minutes. Yeah, this is a great company. Go ahead and buy it. <laughs> <You know? laughs> that's not a good well, way to invest. That's what I was hoping for. <laughs> <laughs> well, we do have a crystal ball in our office. If you want to come by our office, we'll let you use it. All right, Joe? I might have to try that crystal ball out sometime. <laughs> I want to thank you guys a lot again for everything you do and uh, we'll talk to you. All right. Well, thanks for being there. Have a good one. You bet. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. That opens the phone line, 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. Let's go out to Lakeside and speak with David. David, you're on the Smart Vegetable Brand Chase. How can we help you? Good morning, fellas. How are you? Good. How you doing? Just as Dave Ramsey says, I'm debt free. <laughs> Okay, bye to you. Hey, fellas, I'm looking at a stock called Intrepid Potash. It's a fertilizer company. I'm sure you're going to tell me either sell it or don't buy it. <laughs> what, what is that ticker symbol on that there, David? It's I is in Ida, P is in Paul, I is in Ida. Intrepid Potash. There it is. Okay. All right. Uh, let's see what that looks like there. Got a company's Intrepid Potash symbol I. Potash. Potash. I'm sorry. Potash. 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 Uh, they are in the uh, agricultural industry, uh, only about 4.5% on the float side, on the short side. Uh, only 44% on institutional ownership. That's actually pretty low. I'm surprised on that. But wow, we got a nice PE ratio here. 5.7 versus 16.3. We do see price of sales 5.3 versus 2. Price to book value 2.3 versus 37. And then price of cash flow 18. That's above the industry at 13.4. Now, over the past year, they have no earnings growth. Even the past five years, no earnings growth. However, they do have sales growth. Sales growth is up 32% year over year. That's about the same as the industry at 33%. Now, the five-year earnings per share growth estimate from the analysts, not very good. They're saying a negative 59% when the industry is a positive 33. So I'm not sure why the analysts are saying their earnings are gonna go down industry going up, what's going on with this company? That sounds like a company specific problem there. Look at the balance sheet, uh, current ratio look good, 2.1 versus 1.5, no debt on the balance sheet. Industry carries debt about 60% debt to equity. Net profit margin, wow, 92.4 versus 13. Return to equity, 37.7 versus 12.8. And the net profit margin sounds too good to be true. So Chase, what do you got for the earnings going forward? Yeah, well, on this business, I, I do want to write a, a post on um, fertilizer yeah. and potash because this company is benefiting so much from the Russia-Ukraine situation because Russia-Ukraine, I believe, produces or used to send out about 30% of the, the world supply of potash and, right. and fertilizer. Also, too, what's a big component that goes into producing fertilizer? Um, natural gas. Natural gas. Well, natural gas prices have spiked tremendously in Europe, so they're almost offline because they can't compete against a, a U.S. type company that, that's producing fertilizer. So there's a lot of headwinds that are potentially going forward as more comes online, I think, as this Russia-Ukraine situation works itself out over the coming years. This is just a big, big wave that's benefited this company. And what I mean by that is the current price, 106.91, 52-week high, 109.84, the low, $22.82. Year-to-date return up 150%. Mark cap for this company, $1.5 billion. So uh, with a huge surge, it's, it was a pretty small company beforehand. Yeah. But if I go to December 2023, I do see estimated earnings per share of $5.14. Would give us a target sell price of $85.32. So the forward earnings are not looking that great. 
because it's about a 45% decline from what they're expecting this year as they've just been such a big, big benefactor from the rising prices of fertilizer. And do you have a range of the analyst estimates on that? Does that show that? It's 361 to 765. Ooh, that's a big range. See, that's what range. I kind of thought. And, and that always kind of worries us because it doesn't give you a very comfort feeling with that estimate that you have. So, um, I, yeah, I, well, yeah I, th I think I'm gonna tell them to sell it. What do you think, Chase? Yeah, I just think the, uh, yeah. I mean, it, 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 there's just too much too that much. they benefited from right. that I don't see those benefits carrying carrying forward. I think next year you're going to have more fertilizer on the market. You're not going to have a 92% profit margin on this company yeah. as there's other players that, that are able to, again, reasonably price fertilizer and potash. So I I think the, the, the bright time is now for these companies, not next year or the year after. And also you mentioned too about the natural gas. Natural gas is the cleaner of oil. So it seems to be like there's a bigger push on natural gas, how to liquefy it and transport it. So natural gas price could come down, which would be. Yeah, because I, I believe the spread right now is in Europe, like it's uh, 30, $30 per uh, British thermal unit. Yeah. Here it's like five. Yeah. So those producers in Europe are. 30? It's crazy, the difference. Wow. Like yeah. the Europeans are getting hammered right now on their, their electric bills and, um, you know, that type of industry. So those fertilizer producers in Europe are like, I can't produce fertilizer profitably because <laughs> yeah. it's so expensive on the input side. So that leaves the U.S. companies that have a huge, huge advantage. But, you know, Europe somehow gets that from $30 to even $10. Now you're going to have more supply coming back onto the market. A lot of fertilizer there. So, David, yep, going to say sell it. <laughs> Already? Yeah, um, yeah, I bought it a couple months ago, and it, you're right. It's up a lot, and I'm, usually I, when I buy something, I hang on to it for years, but this probably be a quick turnaround, yeah. Yeah, I can say. Yeah, we're not traders, but when things pop and become overvalued, it doesn't matter if it's a month or if it's 10 years. Once they're overvalued, they're overvalued. They're overvalued. We'll sell and get out. Yep. Yeah. All right, David. All right, thanks. Have a good one. Bye-bye. All right. Uh, we had somebody called in about Scott's Mail Girl, I think, three or four times, and I, I saw it, and I was <laughs> wasn't there. It's like, I don't know what's happened, so uh, we'll, we'll try to see what's going on with that, but uh, call in next week. Uh, uh, and I was going to try to look at it, but we have the callers there. And, and, and Jim, I see you on hold there. Uh, the show is just about over, so give us a call back uh, next week. So uh, great show today, though. Again, went by fast. Turbo show. Yeah, turbo show. And, uh, yeah, I definitely do want to pull out those numbers on the fertilizer. And fertilizer is not an interesting topic, but I read this article, and I was like, oh, my gosh, that's so fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> So be on the lookout. I'll, I'll try and write that. Maybe next week, maybe we'll talk on the on the details next show. Yeah, people don't follow us on social media. I mean, we do generally a couple posts a day. Uh, so you're gonna follow us on you know Facebook, uh, LinkedIn. Uh, look for Brent Wilson, Chase Wilson, or the Smart Investing Show on YouTube. Uh, on YouTube. All right. Well, this is closing bell. Thank you for listening to Smart Investing Show. It is for informational purpose only and should not be used as investment advice. Discuss in more detail your investment needs, have other investment questions, feel free to call myself Brent Wilsey or Chase Wilsey at 858 546 4306. That's 858 546 4306. Or visit our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. A lot of great information there. And for more daily educational information on investment tips, go to our Facebook page, Smart Investing with Brent Chase Wilsey. Have a great day. We'll talk more next week right here on the Smart Investing Show. Today.